0: You can be seated. Please take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 20. And our text this morning, the seventh commandment, is Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Pastor Mike just read the entire pericope to us, so we'll just read the one verse. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. The Holy Spirit says this, you shall not commit adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray.
1: Our Father in heaven,
0: we ask that you would open up your word to us and that you would open us up to your word. We pray in the name of Of your son the lord jesus and by the power of the holy spirit amen about a month this may will mark 14 years since bethany and i stood right here on this stage and made a marriage covenant together and on that day when we exchanged our wedding vows some of you were here and some of you may or may not remember that the preacher looked at me and said, do you, Alexander, take Bethany? The problem is that my legal name is not Alexander. My legal name is just Alex. So I'm still not sure if we're legally married. It, it gets worse. We had our wedding reception in that gym right there, and uh, you know when you're having a reception and uh, the DJ is announcing the wedding party that's coming in and the different couples that culminates with the bride and the groom, and so there in that gym, as we were standing out in the hallway waiting for our names to be announced, we heard the DJ say, please welcome Alex and Bethany Vadness. So, I don't know who Bethany's married to, but I don't think it's me, because that was the wrong first name, and that was the wrong last name. Seriously, though, May 16th, you just missed the story, bro. Vadness just, just missed it. Literally his name, and he missed the story. Seriously, though, uh, May 16th, 2009, that's the day we were married. It's the day that we promised before God and before our church to be faithful until, into each other until one of us dies. That's what we did. That's what the marriage covenant is. And while people in our culture make those promises all of the time, we live in a culture that is plagued by infidelity and divorce. Dr. Al Mohler is the president of Southern Seminary. In Louisville Kentucky and he tells the story of being in a Hallmark store one time and actually seeing greeting cards marketed toward people who are committing adultery with each other greeting cards that you can get for your adulterous affair in the January Uh, January 2018, the New York Times published an article entitled, quote, When a Partner Cheats. This is a direct quote from that article. The New York Times says, quote, According to the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, national surveys indicate that 15% of married women and 25% of married men have had extramarital affairs. The incidence is about 20% higher when emotional and sexual relationships without intercourse are included. As more women began working outside of the home, their chances of having an affair have increased accordingly. Close quote. So we live in a culture, even the New York Times, the cultural icon that they are, are commenting on the percentage of Uh, adultery that happens in America. And yet in the midst of this culture that is both sexually confused and sexually rebellious, we come together this morning under the ancient law of God, and we are commanded, you shall not commit adultery. The word translated adultery in this verse is the Hebrew word na'af. It means literally to commit adultery, usually of a man, always with the wife of another. It's also used in scripture of women, uh, and it is used figuratively of idolatrous worship, or what we would call spiritual adultery. Pastor Mike referenced that earlier, that we have played the harlot, that we have been spiritually unfaithful. The Greek word in the Septuagint is the word moikaomai, which is defined as this, sexual intercourse of a man with a married woman other than his own spouse. You shall not commit adultery. So it's important that we use Scripture's own vocabulary, because we try to avoid the vocabulary of Scripture when we're trying to soften our own sin. When a a married person has sex with someone other than his or her spouse, it is adultery. That's what the Bible calls it. If an unmarried person has sex with someone who is married to someone else, It is adultery. That's what the Bible calls it. It is not an affair. It is not cheating. It is not sleeping with someone. These euphemisms are used to soften our sin. It wasn't adultery. It was just just an affair. It was an incident. No, the Bible says it is adultery. And as we move through this second tablet of the Decalogue, the latter five of or the latter six, excuse me, of the Ten Commandments, these commandments are teaching us in a way how we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We began with the fifth commandment, which is to honor your father and your mother. The fifth commandment serves as a bit of a bridge between the four commandments speaking uh, primarily, though not exclusively, to how we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the latter six, which command us how we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. The fifth commandment is a bridge between the two because parents represent God to their children. The sixth commandment then teaches us that we shall not murder. Pastor Kevin preached on this last week. This is important for all people in all societies because the most fundamental right that every image bearer has is the right to life. From the moment of conception Until their deathbed. Now we come to the seventh commandment, which teaches us you shall not commit adultery. And you can see the progression here as we're dealing with people from parents to life to now marriage. And marriage comes before stealing, and it comes before uh, coveting, and it comes before bearing false witness because marriage is at the very heart of human society. Civilization. The family is the foundation of every society, and marriage is the foundation of every family. Marriage is the foundation of every civilization because marriage is grounded in creation itself. In Genesis 1 through 2, after God created the heavens and the earth, the very first thing God did was officiate the wedding of Adam and Eve before there were nations, before there were corporations, before even there was the church, there was marriage. And when God created Eve from Adam, Adam and Eve then knew that they were made for each other. Adam and Eve didn't need a biologist or an equality officer to understand how the pieces fit together. From the very beginning, God created one man, and he said it was not good that the man was alone, and so God created one woman from that one man, and when Adam saw Eve, Adam knew two things. He knew that Eve was like him. Eve was not like the plants or the animals. She was like him. But Adam also knew that Eve was different than him. She was not man. She was woman. It's grounded in the order of creation. It's how God created us from the beginning. The New City Catechism teaches us that God created us, male and female, in his own image, to glorify him. That is how and why God created us. But another reason why marriage is so intrinsically important is because of the nature of the marriage covenant. In marriage, two people become one flesh. Two people become one person, one family unit. Listen to what Karl Barth said of marriage. He said, marriage may be defined as something which fixes and makes concrete the encounter and interrelation of man and woman in the form of a unique unrepeatable and incomparable encounter and relationship between a particular man and woman. Their encounter and relationship signifies, in this context, a life partnership. This partnership is not partial, but complete. Obviously, The the most obvious way in which a man and a woman become one flesh in marriage is through sex. God created sex for pleasure and for procreation exclusively in the marriage of one man and one woman. And so any sexual act that is not between a man and a woman who are married is sin. Any sexual act that is not between a man and woman who are married to each other, is sin. Amen. Scripture is clear that fornication is sin. Fornication is, refers to two people who are not married having sex. That is sin. The scripture is clear that living together apart from marriage is sin, that homosexuality is sin that incest and bestiality and rape and child abuse and any sexual act committed between anything other than a man and a woman who are married to each other is sin. This reality is even more underscored in marriage because even though we can make broad application from the seventh commandment about sexual sin in general and that can be helpful... While that's true, the Seventh Commandment is not speaking generally to sexual immorality, but the Seventh Commandment says you shall not commit adultery. The consequences for adultery are far greater than any other sexual sin. There is something qualitatively different when a marriage is defiled than other sexual sin because in adultery the one flesh union is broken marriage is the most intimate relationship in all of humanity marriage is the only god-approved relationship for sexual intimacy through that sexual intimacy a husband and wife can become a father and a mother Think about that. God has ordained that through the sexual love in marriage, that's the way in which he brings image bearers into the world. You think God takes marriage seriously? Think God takes sex seriously? In marriage, your life is shared, and in adultery, what you're doing is bringing a third person into that one flesh relationship. In adultery, the desires, emotions, and satisfactions that you're supposed to feel exclusively for one person are being given to another. How does adultery happen? How do we move from the joy of your wedding day into bed with someone else? Our flesh deceives us the heart is desperately wicked. Because you know what? Something feels new. Something feels exciting or different. And it's it's good, and you don't want to miss out on something that's good. And all of a sudden, you're talking with someone at work or someone at the gym, or you're reconnecting with an old friend on Facebook, And it feels new. It feels like it did back when you were dating your spouse. And this new person isn't nagging you to take out the trash. Or they're not fighting with you about money, or the kids, or about how you work too much, or about how you never want to have sex. This new person isn't seeing you in your highs and your lows. It's fun, it's different, feels good. You know But while it may feel exciting at the beginning, adultery only leads to death. It leads to broken lives and broken relationships and broken homes. Adultery hurts children. Adultery rightly creates sadness. It creates bitterness and confusion and distrust between spouses. It often leads to divorce. And, you know, our culture tries to act like divorce isn't that big of a deal, you know, like it can just be amicable. But anyone who's ever experienced divorce knows that's not the case. You may say it and you may even try to convince yourself of it. But that's not the case. Russell Moore had a great article in an email a couple weeks ago about the pain of divorce. You know, even when divorce is necessary for the health and safety of someone, or even when divorce is biblically grounded, you know what it still is? It still is the amputation of the one flesh relationship. And so just... Ask an amputee who's lost a limb, maybe even to save their own life. They're alive, but you lose an arm, you lose a leg, you're not the same. Divorce is the amputation of one flesh, and no one comes out unscathed. The most important reason that adultery is so serious, that it's so Damning is because it points to spiritual adultery. One third of the language in the Bible about adultery is referring to spiritual adultery. The one true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he is a jealous God, and he will not share his people with other gods. You read through the former prophets like Ezekiel or Hosea, and they paint a graphic picture of Israel whoring after idols. That's the language the prophets used, that they were whores for other gods. This word picture revealed to Israel, and it reveals to us that we are all spiritual harlots. We may not whore after ancient pagan idols. But we whore after power, sex, money, bigger homes, bigger bank accounts, cultural approval, political influence, false religions. Every human being is guilty of spiritual adultery. That's why we confessed our sins earlier. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, preacher, you got me. I have committed spiritual adultery. But I've never committed literal adultery, and that is something I don't have to worry about. That's not a problem for me. But just when you think you're safe, that's when Jesus arrives on the scene, and he reveals to us that we're all more guilty than we think. In the most famous sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ said this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew 27 and 28. You know, I've heard preachers say this before, and I'll confess to you, I've probably even said this myself, that Israel knew that the seventh commandment spoke to physical adultery. But then when Jesus comes on the scene, that what Jesus does is he deepens the commandment, that Jesus makes it more serious. Jesus makes it harder to follow the law. And on the surface, that, that sounds right, but, but that statement intimates that like lust wasn't sinful under the old covenant, but now lust is sinful under the new covenant. And that's just not the case. Jesus does not deepen the seventh commandment. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is faithfully expositing and applying the seventh commandment. Jesus isn't doing something new the preachers of old just weren't preaching it good enough. (laughs) They weren't weren't preaching this Christ-centered message that Jesus comes to, to reveal to us. And so Jesus, the exegesis of Jesus, reveals to us that when we lust after someone for whom we're not married, we commit adultery with him or her in our hearts. And just like that, we're all guilty. There's no doubt there are people in the gathering this morning who have committed physical adultery, but we all stand guilty of the seventh commandment because we've all committed adultery in our hearts when we have lusted after someone to whom we are not married. And before you take a defensive posture in your heart and mind, say, oh, no, not me. Before you do that, let me remind you that 1 John 1, eight says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Don't deceive yourself. You know, that verse doesn't merely apply to people who think they've never, ever sinned. People who think they don't have to ask for forgiveness. This verse applies to specific sins as well. And so if you're trying to convince yourself, oh, I've never lusted before, not once. Who are you lying to? Yourself and God? Don't deceive yourself. We are all guilty. But now some of you are probably thinking, okay, I'm guilty. But what's the big deal? Why does God care if I look but don't touch? I'm not actually doing anything with anyone. You know, lust is deadly for so many reasons. Lust fuels unhealthy comparison in marriage. And that yields conflict, and it yields unmet expectations, and it yields dissatisfaction. We live in a hyper-sexualized society that tells us that the perfect woman looks like a Victoria's Secret model. And so then, for men as we struggle and wrestle with our lust, instead of being drunk on the wife of our youth, which scripture commands us to do, men can look at their wives who don't have a professional makeup artist and have had children, so they aren't a size zero, and men can look to other women for sexual fulfillment. Women, on the other hand, can read romance novels or watch romantic comedies or watch Hallmark movies, which paint the picture of the perfect man who lives for you and dies for you and looks like Chris Evans. And when you give your heart to that image, then your balding, overweight husband, who's sitting on the couch all Sunday afternoon watching football, well, he just doesn't look as good. That's what lust creates, you see. Uh, let the hearer understand. What, so what does that mean? We get unsatisfied with our spouses based on this arbitrary standard that the world just made up. Who gets to say what the perfect man or the perfect woman is? But we just submit to it. And you start to hear this voice in your head telling you what you have isn't good enough. You deserve better. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to feel like you did at the beginning of your relationship." And that voice that you're hearing comes with a hiss. But not only is adultery and lust so offensive to God because they are antithetical to God's law, which they are. We just read it twice. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. But even worse, adultery and lust are antithetical to God's gospel. In our call to worship, we read from Ephesians chapter 5. Pastor Bobby only got to verse 23. He was actually supposed to get to verse 33. so He played a little hooky this morning. Right, there he is. That's okay, because I'm going to read from verses 31 through 33. Here, this is where the Holy Spirit reveals to us that marriage was created to image the good news of Jesus Christ. So listen to verses 30, starting in verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that marriage was created by God in the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve and married them, he did so to paint a picture of the gospel. That's the reason marriage exists, to preach to the world the relationship between Christ and the church. So when there is unfaithfulness in marriage, that adultery is proclaiming to the world that the gospel is not true. When a man commits adultery against his wife, he is declaring with his actions that Christ is not faithful to the church. When a woman commits adultery against her husband, she is announcing with her actions that the promises are not true. That the gates of hell will prevail against the church. But the good news of Jesus Christ is, tells us a much different story. You see, the law reveals our guilt. And what we've determined through this exposition so far of the seventh commandment is that whether it's in thought or word or deed, we are all guilty of breaking the seventh commandment. That's the bad news. But church, I will promise you, as long as Pastor Kevin and myself and the rest of the elders have anything to say about it, you will never come to church on Sunday morning and just hear the bad news. You will always hear the good news. And this is the good news. The good news of Jesus tells us that the one holy and true God, the one who created us in his image to glorify him and enjoy him forever, that he created us, that he gave us his law, but that in Adam we fell in sin, we have rebelled against his law, and we have all sinned in thought, word, and deed, we have all sinned by what we have done and by what we have left undone, and because of our sin, we all rightly deserve eternal conscious punishment in hell. But in his grace, the Father sent the second person of the holy trinity, the son of God, to take on flesh and dwell among us. John 1:14. And so Jesus of Nazareth was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born of the Virgin Mary. And Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus lived a truly human life yet without sin. Part of the sinless life of Jesus was that Jesus never broke the seventh commandment. Jesus never broke the seventh commandment in thought, word, or deed. Jesus never broke the seventh commandment by what he did or by what he had left undone. We can't have all the elders blubbering up here right now, so I gotta pull myself together. But you know what? Because of his sinless life, this is important, this is why. This is why Jesus lived. This is why he followed the law. It's because of his sinlessness. It's because of his law abiding that Jesus could stand in the place of his people as he died on the cross, bearing the wrath of God against the sins of the elect. And then Jesus was buried, and on the third day, Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's why we're here this morning, because it was Sunday morning. That Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so this is where we see Ephesians 5, the explanation of how marriage represents the gospel. Because it's in this sense that Jesus fulfills the seventh commandment. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus resurrected in order to win back his bride from sin and death. The book of Revelation tells us that when Christ returns, he will finally and truly be wed to his people. We just sang about it in My Jesus, I Love Thee. Hard to not cry during that verse. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ and we will eternally enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb with our groom for all eternity in the new creation. Sometimes it might be hard for us to understand what it means to be the bride of Christ, especially as men. What it means is that the friendship, the intimacy, the satisfaction, the safety, the partnership, the completion, the fulfillment, all of the things that we're meant to feel in marriage, we will feel fully and finally with Christ in his eternal kingdom. That is good news, isn't it? But it's only good news for those who will repent of their sin and believe this gospel. To repent means to acknowledge and to turn from your sin. To believe means to have the knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And let me assure you, if you have been listening to this sermon thus far, you have all the knowledge you need. But you cannot merely know the details about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. You must also acknowledge that they are true. You must assent to the validity of the truth claims of the gospel. You cannot merely understand that Christians believe this or that about Jesus. You have to believe this or that about Jesus. And while knowledge and assent are essential for faith, they are still not enough. You must take this knowledge and this assent and you must transfer your trust to Jesus alone. And you know what? That's only something that you can know. The scripture gives us assurance and we have brothers and sisters from which we can draw counsel. But only you can know where the trust of your heart lies. And the truth is every person must trust in Jesus or else you will stand before Jesus on the last day and he will be your judge and he will not be your advocate. Repent and believe in the gospel. For in Christ alone do we find the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of resurrection and eternal life. That's the only place. That's why the New Testament so adamantly repeats the phrase, in Christ, our sure and steady anchor. But it is also in Christ alone through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we can even begin to try to keep the seventh commandment. And so our first step, whether you fall into lust or you've experienced adultery or any other form of sexual sin, is to repent. Confess your sins. Repent and trust God's word, when it says that if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can experience cleansing. You can experience forgiveness. I I read one theologian say one time that when we're living in sin, the only thing God wants to do is uncover it. And when we repent of our sin, the only thing God wants to do is cover it. And the devil and your own flesh and the world are gonna try and convince you that it's not sin or that you can hide it, that you won't get caught or that you're different. But you will only experience the freedom and the cleansing if you repent. And once that sin is confessed, whether it is lust or even adultery or any other sexual sin that you've confessed, the devil will remind you of your guilt, and he will remind you of your shame, and you can remind him that your sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, that your sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And you bear it no more. Praise the Lord. That's the good news. That's the good news. And while we know that we can never keep God's law fully, and that's why Jesus needed to do it for us, but also our obedience to the law is proof that we have been justified by faith alone. And we believe in God's providence. In fact, we say this often here at Christ Community Church. We believe in the meticulous sovereignty and providence of God, and so we know that nothing is a coincidence, that nothing happens by mistake or by accident. And if that's true, then that means that God in his providence has ordained that we would preach the seventh commandment on March 26th, 2023, and so I cannot help but think that it's possible that someone here may be entertaining the thought, or even planning, or even already actively committing adultery right now. Don't do it. Don't do it. Sex is like fire. When it's contained in the fireplace of marriage, it produces light and warmth in the home. But when it is outside the fireplace, it burns the house to the ground. Do not burn your house to the ground. Be like Joseph. Flee immorality. If you are planning adultery right now, cut it off today. Repent. Man, if you can't help but flirt with that coworker, get another job. It's better to be poor than to go to hell. If you can't help but flirt with that gym crush, stop going to the gym. It's better to be out of shape than to go to hell. If you can't handle having a phone or a computer because you just cannot help but be addicted to pornography, get rid of them, man. It's better to have a flip phone than to go to hell. The seventh commandment is more important than you think because the seventh commandment is about the gospel. The story of humanity as revealed in Scripture begins with a wedding. Scripture then is the story of a wedding between Christ and his church, and the Scripture ends with a wedding. Jesus came to win his bride And Jesus does not commit adultery against the church. This truth is beautifully detailed in the wedding vows that we use for all of our weddings here at Christ Community Church. I love them. My doctoral supervisor, actually, Dr. Brian Payne, was a co-author of them. And it makes me kind of jealous. I start breaking commandments in my heart. Because we didn't have them when we got married. Now everybody gets to use these awesome vows. They're so good, though. I'm going to read them right now. And as I do so, I want to encourage you, if you're not married, listen to these words and live your life in such a way that if or when God does give you a spouse, you are ready for this. And if you are married, listen to these words and recommit to following the seventh commandment Today. It says, I take you to be my spouse, to have and to hold from this day forward. For better or for worse, I will love you because Christ has loved me. For richer or poorer, I will be faithful to you because Christ has been faithful to me. In sickness and in health, I will care for you, because Christ has cared for me. I promise to never divorce you and to continually pursue you, because Christ has continually pursued after me. I will love and honor you until death do us part. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your law, wherein you reveal to us that we shall not commit adultery, that we shall not commit adultery in thought, word, or deed, that we shall not commit adultery by what we do or by what we leave undone. And so, Father, we would ask first and foremost for anyone in the gathering this morning who has not repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus alone, that your Holy Spirit would raise their heart from the dead, that their eyes would be opened to see the beauty of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, and that they would transfer their trust to Christ alone. Father, I pray for your people at Christ Community Church that we would be a faithful People, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us, that we would be chaste in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Father, we pray that if there is anyone who is in adultery right now, Lord, that you will break their heart and that they will repent and that they will turn from their sin. Father, we pray for any that may be planning adultery right now, that you would stop them and that they would repent. Father, we pray for all of the marriages, for all the homes of Christ Community Church, that our lives would be faithful expositors of your gospel and that you would teach us in our thoughts words and deeds to pray as your son taught us when he said pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.